This morning's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Do keep your Bibles open. And shall we pray as we come to look at this passage together? Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the many blessings that you have given to us. But Father, we need to hear the warning from this passage that that those privileges, those blessings are no guarantee. So, Father, please um, help us to be uh, alert to your spirit this morning as we look at your word, that we might be um, careful uh, not to fall. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Presumption um, is a dangerous thing. Presumption is a dangerous thing. I, I, I'm sorry to bring up the, um, the rugby uh, result once again, uh, but I'm going to. Um, uh, I guess um, if, you, if you don't know, England lost. England lost rugby. They went into that match as favourites, didn't they? They'd beaten um, the All Blacks, um, high, you know, always regarded as the number one team in the world. They'd beaten them in the semi-finals quite convincingly. Uh, it really was a, a very impressive performance. And so they go into the final against um, South Africa, and they're the, they're the favorites. Now, you and I, um, I guess none of us really know what happened uh, between the semifinal and the final, um, but something happened that meant uh, they didn't win. It is possible, isn't it, that, that presumption uh, crept in uh, to the camp. Uh, if, it, if, if it didn't, Eddie Jones probably would have been quite good at keeping it out of, of the players. But certainly as you listen to uh, the fans... Uh, some of them flew out uh, last minute, uh, bought tickets for ridiculous sums of money so they could be there. Uh, they obviously, well, I don't know, they, they thought they were going to see a victory. Uh, certainly the way the commentators uh, were speaking about it, it changed uh, between pre-semi-final when it was like, oh, underdogs, oh, you know, um, haven't they done well to get this far, to suddenly one hand on the trophy uh, sort of chat. And uh, uh, sadly, if you're an English fan, um, it, it, it didn't work out uh, yesterday. Uh, sorry. Keep, keep um, I, I, was, I, was, I was disappointed, actually. I was cheering them on, much to my surprise. Um, <laughs> lost, lost the crowd already. Never mind. Um, if presumption had crept in 
Uh, that, that would have been a dangerous thing, wouldn't it? Because um, presumption uh, makes us lazy. Um, it makes us half-hearted. Uh, it makes us think that we're there uh, already. We've got everything sorted. It sets you up for a fall. Um, our passage this morning uh, is a warning that presumption is a real danger uh, in the Christian life. Presumption says, I'm fine. Um, I'm, I'm standing firm. I can, I can cope with a little sin uh, now and then. It, it, it won't make a difference. It doesn't matter. God won't mind because I'm standing firm. Well, this passage will warn us that, that to presume on God's grace is a mistake that God's people have made in the past. So don't make the same mistake that they did. We're in, um, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 8 to 10. Uh, just a reminder of uh, the issue is um, food sacrificed to idols. What do we do about food sacrificed to idols? Uh, that may not be a particularly relevant question for us, but the principles that Paul lays out are, uh, go much wider than that, just that one issue. Um, the, the main thing that he said is, when, when it comes to any issue, don't ask the question, what are my rights? What are my rights that I can claim? Don't ask that question. Ask, what is best for you? What is best for others? So chapter 8, uh, the concern was all for other Christians. I don't claim my rights, but I lay down my rights for the sake of other believers. Chapter 9, I do the same thing. I lay down my rights so that others might hear the gospel and believe. Now in chapter 10, uh, Paul brings it a bit closer to home. He says, but still watch out for yourself. Watch out for yourself. It is possible to lay down your rights for others and yet to be blind uh, to your own sin, to be complacent about your own standing. Just because you've stood firm this far, just because you're thinking of others, don't presume that you'll endure without being careful. And to, to, to drive that message home, to convince us of the need uh, to hear it, Paul gives us uh, the example of the Israelites. And they, are, they are an example to us, he says, not in a positive way. Um, it's a run-up to Christmas, isn't it? So the Christmas adverts start. Um, if, this, if this passage were a Christmas advert, it's not a... Um, buy this sofa, and you can, you can be as comfortable as these people. Uh, it's not a kind of positive example. You too could live like this. It's a, it's a negative one. It's more of a um, don't drink and drive at this Christmas because the consequences uh, could be disastrous. Two things um, that the Israelites' experience will show us, and then one big implication uh, as we look at it. Uh, the points are on, that, on the handout if you want to follow along. The two things we'll see from the, from the Israelites, they receive privileges but fail, and they set their hearts on evil and died. And so then the big implication for us is don't presume uh, that you will stand, but instead be careful to endure. Firstly then, from, from the example of the Israelites, they received privileges but fail. Let me read from verse 1 again. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, 
for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Paul writing to these Corinthians, he doesn't want them to be ignorant. Um, these Corinthians, they, they think they're very knowledgeable. Uh, they think they're standing firm uh, because of all their experiences, of all their knowledge. But Paul, Paul here gives them a, a pretty simple history lesson. He says, look at the Israelites, that first generation who came out of Egypt. Um, they could not have been more privileged. They'd experienced God's salvation um, as they'd been brought through the Red Sea on the dry land. They'd seen their enemies defeated in that same Red Sea. They'd experienced God's presence with them um, in the cloud as, as God protected them, as God appeared before them and spoke with them, as God dwelt with them and guided them in the wilderness. They'd experienced God's provision each day when they went out and there was manna for them to eat, when they were thirsty and God provided water from a rock for them to drink. There wasn't much more that God could have done for that generation of Israelites. No one really in the whole of the Old Testament has such privileges as they did. And that's why verse 5 is so devastating, isn't it? Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Depending on, on how you count it, um, how you work it out, somewhere between one and two million Israelites probably came out of Egypt with Moses. They experienced such incredible privileges. How many of those one to two million reached the promised land? Two. Only two of that two million actually made it as far as the promised land. They were in many ways a golden generation, and yet they failed to reach the promised land. don't know how many of you were football fans following the England football team in the early 2000s. Um, the sort of Beckham, uh, who else is it? Beckham, Gerrard, Butt um, kind of uh, generation. They were, they were often referred to as the golden generation uh, of English football, and yet time after time, I'm sorry this is another story of English sporting failure, um, time after time they reached, uh, they, were, they reached tournaments and, and, went, and went nowhere. Uh, they, had, they had so many privileges, that team. They were among the best, played, best paid players in the world. Uh, they had structures in place, they had all the support they needed, and yet they failed. Well, in the same way, this, this golden generation of Israelites who had received such privileges, such blessings, well, in the end, God was not pleased with them. All but two of them, uh, their bodies laid to rest in the wilderness. In the end, their privilege meant nothing because they didn't endure, they didn't keep going uh, to the end. Now, that's a, that's a, a, a nice story from history, isn't it? We, I guess we're tempted as we look at it to think that we don't face uh, those same dangers. Um, maybe because we think our, our privileges are greater uh, than that generation, which is true. Uh, we, have, we have the full picture. We have Jesus. Uh, we see the cross and the resurrection. Uh, we have his spirit. And yet, and yet, Paul makes it clear that their privileges 
in many ways, were, were not dissimilar to ours. See how he parallels in those verses. He parallels their experience to baptism. He deliberately uses a word of New Testament believers to refer to what they experienced, baptism into Moses. They were part of the covenant people of God. And he says the rock that provided for them, that rock was Christ. They received extraordinary privileges in Christ, but those privileges in the end were no guarantee that they would endure. Why not? What went wrong? What went wrong for this golden generation? Well, quite simply, they set their hearts on evil. They set their hearts on evil. Let me read from verse 6. Now, these things occurred as examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. See, the the privileges they had received, they were all from God. And yet the evil was all from their own hearts. It caused them to fall. Paul Paul focuses in on on three main examples of their evil hearts, of what that meant for them. Um, The first one, um, idolatry. Um, Paul points back to probably the most famous uh, instance of, uh, of of the Israelite sin in the whole of the Old Testament, the golden calf in Exodus 32. And the people have just been rescued out of Egypt. Uh, Moses is up the mountain receiving uh, the law from God. Everyone else uh, under the mountain can see God's glory uh, in, the, in the cloud, in the thunder, hearing, uh, seeing the, the lightning and hearing the thunder. They can see God's glory right there. And yet they get bored of waiting for Moses to come back down. And so in, instead of worshiping God rightly, they, they choose to make up their own version of God. They melt down all the, all the jewelry they brought out of Egypt, and they make a golden calf, and they bow down and worship it. They hold a feast in its honor. They pretend it's the Lord. So instead of, instead of worshiping God alone, they, they threw themselves down in front of something that they have made themselves. Instead of obeying what God has commanded them, they use this idol as an excuse to do what they want, to eat, drink, and indulge in revelry. Paul's already said, hasn't he, just a couple of chapters before, that idols are nothing. But still to worship something that is not God is horrific. In in Corinth, idolatry would have been a, a daily reality for the new believers. And there would have been a, a temple to a different God on each street corner. Um, it was just a part of normal life. It was part of every business deal you did, part of most of the social interactions you had. It was everywhere. That's what made it so dangerous. And I guess for us, um, sitting here, 21st century London, it's easy, isn't it, to presume that that is not a danger uh, in our lives. Um, we don't have idle temples on every corner. We don't have little figures 
uh, in our homes or in our pockets that we bow down to. But there are still plenty of things that you and I put before uh, the Lord God. Things that we do metaphorically, figuratively bow down and worship. Idolatry is there in, I don't know, the, the, the constant daydreaming of, of the next holiday. It's there in, in the never-ending quest for the perfect um, relationship, for the perfect family, for the perfect career. Those things that we put above God and worship. Like the Israelites, we can, we can say we're worshiping God when actually we've exchanged his glory for something else. Paul says, don't follow their example. Look at their example and don't follow it. See the warning. Idolatry is the first way they set their hearts on evil. Second way, sexual immorality. Verse 8. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. And Paul here refers to, to Numbers 25, when the Israelite men went off and slept with the Moabite women. And that, that led them uh, ultimately to, to worshiping the Moabite gods. Yeah, another example of how sex is very rarely just sex. God was so angry with them that 23,000 of them uh, died in one day. See, in, in sex-obsessed Corinth, it would have been very easy for the believers to believe the lie that God wasn't interested in my sex life. That's my business, what goes on behind closed doors. As long as it doesn't harm anyone else, God must be fine with it, is he not? It's interesting, if you look back at the, the, the immorality of sexual immorality of Numbers 20, 25, it is, it is consensual. There was no coercion going on. But it caused God's anger to burn against his people. Paul says that is an example for us. Don't commit sexual immorality. Why is it that, um, that sexual misconduct is, is so prevalent among those in positions of power? I think it must in part be the presumption that they will not be held accountable, that they are somehow untouchable. That's, that's true in the world. That can be tragically true in the church uh, as well. It's very easy, isn't it, to, to start saying to yourself, well, it, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do uh, in my own home or behind closed doors. I'm entitled to some, uh, to some me time. Or we, we fill ourselves that the sort of casual flirting uh, with a colleague won't lead to anything. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a faithful kind of, kind of person. I won't fall in that way. But if our presumption leads us to be casual about sexual immorality, then Paul says we're in danger. Don't follow the example of the Israelites. And then the third big example um, that Paul gives us is not one of the big sins, I guess, if we were writing out a list of, uh, of, of big sins. But the other thing that disqualified the Israelites was grumbling, grumbling against God. Paul gives us two examples um, of a pretty similar thing. One in, in Numbers 21, 
Um, the Israelites, they'd grown impatient of desert life. I mean, it was dusty, it was hot, um, it, it wasn't going the way that they'd hoped it would go. And so they accuse God. They turn to him and they say, you have brought us out here to die. You didn't want what was best for us. You wanted to kill us all in the desert. They think he's being stingy and, uh, 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 and not generous with them by just giving them this rubbish food, this miraculous manna day after day after day, the same thing, bored of it. How does God respond? Well, he doesn't sit down and try and work out a new menu plan with the Israelites. No, he, he sends venomous snakes into the camp and loads of them die. Again, in number 16 is the other example Paul points to. They, the, the Israelites, they don't like the leaders that God has put over them. They think we could do a much better job. Let's, let's sort our own leadership structures out. God sees that as grumbling against him and he punishes them. Again, loads of them die. That is how, that is how serious um, the issue of grumbling was for the Israelites. I don't know how, how hard I have to work to convince you that, um, that grumbling is, is a, a real and present danger uh, for us. I wonder if it is something that, that Londoners are particularly prone to, something about, about being in London that makes you grumble. Um, don't know about you, but, but if I have to wait more than two minutes for a tube, oh, roll my eyes. I mean, why haven't TFL organized the whole timetable around me and my schedule so that I can just get on a platform straight on a train, preferably with a seat. Ha <laughs> ha. And that's a kind of silly example, isn't it? But, but we take the same attitude often into how we think about God and how he treats us. Why hasn't God arranged everything around me? Why hasn't he given me what I want? Why hasn't he answered that prayer? And why hasn't he given me that job, that relationship, that peace and quiet that I want? Why am I having to wait? Maybe, maybe God hasn't. Maybe God isn't good. Maybe he doesn't want what's best for me. See how easy it is to, to grumble against um, a, a God, a Father who loves us and who has provided everything that we need grumbling. Paul says, don't follow the example of the Israelites. They were privileged, but they set their hearts on evil. They knew that God was worthy of their praise, but they chose to worship other things. They knew that God had always acted for their good, but they decided that they knew what was best. They knew that God had always provided everything that they needed. But it was, they refused to trust him when the going got tough. And every time, without fail, the results for the Israelites were disastrous. There is not one example of the Israelites setting their heart on evil and things working out better for them in the end. There is just example after example of how their evil led to death.
What's the implication for us? What's, what's all that got to do with us? Well, the big lesson, final point, don't presume you will stand, but be careful to endure. Look at verse 11 of our passage again. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Paul has a a pretty straightforward understanding of how the Old Testament applies to New Testament believers. He says, those things were written down as examples, as warnings for you. So believers who stand this side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we do have all that we need, and there is no extra at Revelation to come. The culmination of the ages has come. And so we can know fully what the Old Testament was always pointing towards uh, as we see Jesus. Here's the big lesson that we're to take away from these examples. Verse 12 again, verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Presumption is dangerous for the Christian. Because, see, when you think you're fine, when you're sort of confident of standing firm, Paul says that's when you're in danger of falling. How does that work? Think about it like this. When I think I'm fine, when I'm confident that I'll stand firm, I, I stop fighting sin. When I'm confident that, you know, I've got this covered, then I relax. And when fighting sin stops being a daily part of of our lives, well, then we're in danger. When we sit back and think, I'm doing all right, Um, this sin doesn't really matter. I've, I've got it under control. When, in other words, we presume on God's grace, then we are in danger. Think of the Corinthians. They thought they had everything just right, didn't they? They thought they were standing firm. But for all their experience, for all their so-called maturity, that was the very thing that put them in danger of presuming on God. Because their self-confidence, it blinded them to the reality of their sin, blinded them to, to their ongoing idolatry and sexual immorality and grumbling. So they needed this warning. And so do we, so do we this morning. For lots of us, our our privileges, spiritually speaking, will be many. I don't know what what you would point to being part of a a church family that teaches the Bible week after week, that is committed to seeing people grow in their discipleship, that we're part of a, a family of believers who look out for one another, who call one another to account, where what it means to live in a Christ-like way is, is lived out, is modeled to us in so many ways, that we have, uh, have friends who, who seek to build us up uh, in Christ. We have opportunities to serve others, 
uh, to take on some form of leadership, that we have the, the freedom and the opportunity to share our faith uh, with uh, the watching world. Whatever our privileges, and those are wonderful things uh, which we should be very thankful for, but none of them are a guarantee that we will endure. When you start to rely on those things and not on Jesus, then we're in trouble. We can be very quick, can't we, to, to make excuses uh, for our sin. But Paul won't let us do that. Verse 13, he, he knocks down three big excuses that we give to why our sin doesn't really matter, why this doesn't really apply to us. Excuse one, my circumstances are unique, so it's fine. My circumstances are unique. Paul's answer to that, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. He says, you're not in a, you're not in a special category that means that warnings don't apply to you and you don't have to be careful not to fall. No, your, your temptation is just like uh, everyone else's one way or the other, and you need to be careful uh, that you will endure. Be on your guard. Second excuse, um, the temptation, temptation is just too strong. It's just too much. Well, no, says Paul, second half of verse 13, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That verse is a huge comfort, isn't it? To know that in the midst of each and every temptation, God is still in control and he will not allow you to be tempted more than you can bear. We can't say that that temptation is just too strong. And excuse three that Paul wants to knock down, well, if God wanted me to change, he'd do something about it. If God really wanted me to change, he would do something about it. But the final part of verse 13, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God will, in the midst of each and every temptation, provide a way out. Not, not just a sort of escape hatch, a trap door uh, through the stage, but, but a way to endure, um, a way to be obedient to what God has called us to See, the, the solution to, to a presumption of sin is to be real with ourselves, to, to not make excuses, to not presume that we will stand firm. It is to be open and honest about our sin, first and foremost to God, to come to him in repentance and faith, to know that he is utterly able to forgive and to give us the strength to endure See, in the end, these warnings, they are an encouragement to us. There is a real difference, isn't there, between presumption and assurance. See, if you're a Christian here this morning, then you can have real assurance that in Jesus you are totally secure. He has paid the penalty for all your sin. You are his. He will take you home that's, that's assurance, real Christian assurance, grounded in what Christ has done for us. 
that because it is all grounded in him, I can be real about my own sin, about my ongoing, um, the ongoing reality of idolatry in my life or sexual immorality or grumbling. I know that he will keep me and so I fight on each day. I'm careful to endure. And so if, it, if, if that is you, if you are a Christian this morning, then keep going. Keep going. This passage is, is not there to shake our assurance. It's there to wake us up from presumption. Because presumption is very different. Presumption says, I'm fine. And this isn't a big deal. It, it, it makes excuses for sin. And that, Paul says, is, is where the danger lies. Don't presume you will stand. Look at the, the examples of the Israelites. They presumed that because of their privilege, because of all they'd experienced, that, that they'd endure. And so they didn't care about ongoing sin. They didn't fight it each day. They didn't look to God who is faithful to them. So be real about your ongoing sin. Don't, don't think that it doesn't matter. Look to the God who is faithful. Don't stand on your own self-confidence. Don't presume on God's grace, but cling to him each day and you will endure. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, we praise you so much for the Lord Jesus, for all he has done. That means that we can have assurance that if we trust in him, that he will get us to glory. And yet, Father, we know that so often our, our confidence is, is not in him, but is in ourselves. And so we presume on your grace. Father, would you show us that the reality of our hearts that, that quickly tend to sin and idolatry and grumbling. And would you turn us back again to Christ who is all-sufficient, who is faithful to forgive, to keep us going, to persevere us to the end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.